This morning we have uh, kids, you're dismissed to your kids' uh, time for a time of worship, and uh, we'll be praying for you, and we're uh, really excited to have you guys uh, here with us this morning. This morning we have the awesome opportunity to hear from our intern, Mike Fitzgerald, is going to be uh, sharing the Word of God from us. Mike uh, moved to Kansas City in August from the Birmingham, Alabama uh, area. And he's uh, working in our church, uh, learning um, hands-on church ministry as part of the Timothy Track program at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's a new program uh, that they've developed at the seminary to give students practical help, uh, practical experience in the church. And then the the churches, we benefit because we get help as well. So it's a mutual beneficial to both the seminary and to the church. And so we're just so excited Uh, to have Mike sharing the word of God. So Mike, God bless you as you share the word with us this morning. Okay, thank you. Uh, Thank you to Adam. Thank you for everybody for giving me the opportunity to bring the word this morning. (laughs) There are pros and cons to this kind of height. Anyway, we're going to be continuing our study this morning in the Gospel of John. Uh, Because of, purely by accident, we're going to be jumping a little bit, so we're not picking up immediately where we left off last week. We'll be jumping back and continuing that with Adam later on. As we had read earlier uh, by Ms. Jennifer, very well, thank you, Uh, we'll be picking up at John chapter 6, starting at verse 16. And this is the, what we're going to be looking at is the fifth sign now, wait a second, we just did the third last week. Again, we're going to be coming back. You'll get the fourth sign later on. Uh, what we're going to have here is the fifth sign, which is Jesus walking on the water. And just to have a little bit of context, since we're jumping a little bit in the narrative here, what we just had happen that we haven't studied yet uh, is this big public display of Christ's power with the feeding of the 5,000, which that is the fourth sign that we'll hear about later. So we'll be coming back to that, but this, this big sign, you know, feeding 5,000, a lot of people saw that. This was a big public display of Christ's power and authority. Had a big response to it, because a lot of people saw it happen. We're just going to jump back just a couple of verses. We're looking at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6, so right before today's passage. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So this response was a mixed bag. A little bit of positive and negative side to this big response. The positive, they recognized from their Old Testament scriptures who Jesus was. They recognized that he was the Messiah. This prophet uh, prophecy that's in Deuteronomy chapter 18 is a prophecy that's fulfilled by Christ, by the Messiah. But they didn't quite have right what the role of the Messiah was. They're looking for somebody to be a king, a conqueror, somebody to come kick the Romans out and rule the Israelites as their king. That's not what Christ had come to do. So he had gone away from them, so they couldn't grab hold of him and try to make him do that. Uh, This pursuit, these people kind of chasing after Jesus, is going to continue in verse 22 when we get there eventually. Uh, this, so they're not giving up this chase of trying to make Christ be their king. That's, that's going to come later. So looking at our passage, 
just to be clear, this, this is an account that's also told to us in Matthew and Mark's Gospels also with, with some different details. But let's look at what John had to say here. We're going to read through it again, even though we said it earlier. Oh, sorry. Anyway, so starting at verse 16. It said, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. So just real quick, over these next couple of minutes, we're just going to kind of walk through step by step what's going on here in this passage. So the disciples are crossing the sea, and it doesn't name it here, but this is the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is at the mountain, and John doesn't tell us exactly what he's doing. Matthew and Mark tell us that he's praying at the mountain. That's what Jesus is doing there. So they're crossing the sea. Darkness had come. So just first off, Sea of Galilee, we can look it up geographically. Wikipedia is a great source. Uh, it's just over eight miles wide. That my, I hope none of my professors listened to me saying that Wikipedia is a great source. They would have a problem with that. But anyway, uh, Sea of Galilee is just a little bit over eight miles across. So the fact that they're about three to four miles across is, is about halfway. They're in the middle of this. It's not actually an ocean, but you know, for all intents and purposes, they're on an ocean. There's no land nearby. About three to four miles. And we don't know exactly how late into the night this was, but if they had rowed three to four miles, I don't know if anybody here's ever used one of those rowing machines in a gym. That's very hard work, by the way. If you ever want a great cardio workout that doesn't tear apart your knees, that's a good, good rowing exercise. It's very hard work. But so they rowed about three or four miles. That, that would take some time. And we know uh, here it says that darkness had already set in. Other gospels say that it was well into the night. So, again, we don't know exactly how many hours they had been rowing, but they've been rowing a good amount of time here. But, you know, again, they're by themselves. Jesus isn't with them. And it's also storming. Now, I don't know about anybody else. You know, coming from Alabama, going to the coast was always a big vacation thing. I don't do the coast. I don't do water. Uh, I saw Jaws at a very young age. And even though academically I know and understand that sharks don't eat people, I still saw Jaws at a very young age. So that thought is there in my brain, I don't go out on the ocean. But other people do. I talked to my brother-in-law, who was a big boating, fishing kind of guy, and I asked him if he'd ever been out on the water in a storm. Uh, has anybody just, just, I'm not going to call on you or anything, but has anybody here ever actually been out, out on the water in a storm? Yeah? Would you agree with him? that He said it's the, it's the last place you want to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I took him at his word, but okay, and haven't verified by other people too. He's my brother-in-law, not my brother. Anyway, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. I have nothing against him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, out on the water, in a storm, last place you want to be. So we now have it verified by multiple people. So that's just a horrifying thing. So on top of being on the water, they're in a storm. And so right here, coming up, uh, verse 19, the second half of verse 19, we're coming to really the centerpiece of the passage. We've been setting it up. We've been telling you know, where everybody is, where they're going, what they're doing. So picking up at verse 19, they are afraid. And I cannot argue with them being afraid. We like to sometimes throw the disciples under the bus that, oh, they didn't understand what Jesus said in this example, or they didn't 
they were afraid or their faith wasn't as strong as it should have been. I think we can understand them being afraid in this situation. It's night. It's storming. They're out on the water, which, you know, I'd just be hearing the Jaws theme in my head if I was out on the water. But so they're out on the water. It's night. It's storming. And then they see Jesus. And, and what do we see here? They don't recognize him. Or excuse me. Here it doesn't tell us that. I'm sorry. Uh, he was coming near the boat and they were afraid. The other two passages, Matthew and Mark, tell us that they didn't recognize that it was Jesus walking on the water. When they saw him, they thought that the way they say it, Matthew and Mark tell it, they thought he was a ghost kind of hovering across the water. So boat, storm, night, and then a ghost. So yeah, I think we're okay with the fact that the disciples are afraid here. And it's probably an understatement. They're probably terrified. <clears throat> so just first off, just, just in case there's anybody here who's maybe a little bit skeptical, we're reading this, and it says that Jesus is walking on the water. Now just show a hand. Has anybody ever seen anybody walk on water? I would hope not. I've never seen anybody walk on water either. I tried it once. It didn't work. And uh, I was a kid, but I did legitimately try. I failed. But anyway, we can't walk on water. It's kind of a rule, a law of nature. So if you're here, you're hearing me reading from this Bible that says that Jesus walked on the water. You know, there's a couple of possible explanations. Maybe, maybe he was out on the shore and because it was storming, it was night, they saw him and it looked like he was walking on the water. Well, it says they were three to four miles out on the, onto the water, so that didn't really work. Uh, maybe he was on a smaller boat, you know, kind of floating by. And again, it was night, it's storming. Maybe the smaller boat, they didn't see that he was on a boat and it looked like he was walking on the water. Well, if it's storming, I doubt a smaller boat would have made it three to four miles out in, the, in a kind of storm like this. So I don't think that really works either. I think we can believe that Jesus was really, truly walking on the water. And just as a, a small little aside, other than the fact that it, it's chronologically logical, you know, we, believe, we begin our scriptures with God creating the universe out of nothing. If that's our step one, if we can believe that, we can believe pretty much everything that happens after the fact. So we can accept that supernatural things happen with God because God is not restrained by the laws of physics like we are. So I think we can believe that Jesus is indeed literally walking on the water here. So then we see here next, so the disciples are afraid. What we see here in verse 20, this is the only explicitly stated dialogue. These are the only words spoken that we have given to us here in John's account of this event. Now, I'm sure there were other things said, but these are the only specific words that John gives us. And these words come from, come from the lips of Christ. And what did he say? He said, it is I. Don't be afraid. We're going to come back to that. That's like the center of what we're going to talk about here for the next few minutes. We're going to come back to that. We're going to get through the rest of the, the story. Verse 21 we have what feels like almost kind of another just kind of a tacked-on miracle here. It's not really discussed a whole lot, but it is a miraculous occurrence. We look at it. It says, verse 21, it says, Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. All right, we're talking about a body of water that's about over, a little bit over eight miles wide. They were three to four miles in, and then suddenly they're at the shore, at their destination. So a, you know, a Star Trek, Jetson-style teleportation, which I'm, I'm sore at those shows, by the way. Just a tiny little side. I could get home in an instant if I could just teleport, but instead I'm going to have to drive 11 hours anyway. So, 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 so Jesus does almost kind of this 
sci-fi style teleportation about four to five more miles they suddenly transported here at the end of this passage. It's not really discussed a whole lot, but it is just a little other miracle that's happening here. So that, that's our passage for today. That's it. Uh, I think we're done. No, just, no. Uh, you know, it's good to know. So now we know historically what happened here, and that's good. But, you know, the Bible's a little bit different from a standard history book. There's a little bit more to it, you know. So, so we know these things that happened, but as God's Word, there, there's more to it. It, it, there's, it matters, and it applies to our lives today. And so we're going to spend the, the rest of our main time kind of looking at what, what that is for us today. You know, we talked about in an earlier uh, sermon, Adam Tolson, you know, with, with every passage that we look at here that involve Christ, we look at what does this have to say about Christ? What does this tell us about Christ? And what do we do with it? So we're going to answer both of those questions here. So first off, we're going to look at uh, what John had to say, because uh, how many people here are in the State Line Institute uh, with Adam? I know at least a few of you, yeah. A, f- a few people, a few people. Uh, now I know what y'all, I, I haven't been in there, but just from hearing about it, I know y'all been going through, I know I said y'all, that's just, sorry, I'm from Alabama. But uh, y'all been going through hermeneutics, how to read the Bible well. And a very important part of that is the context of it. And part of the context is what the author's mission was. And we've been talking about this as we've been going through John's gospel. Uh, John tells us his mission here right at the very end uh, in chapter 20, starting at verse 30. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John tells us his mission. John tells us why he wrote what he wrote. It's, you know, it's what we're using for our title of this series. It's so that you may believe that Christ is the Messiah. So what does this sign, sign number five, tell us about Jesus? I think pure and simple, it tells us that he is God. He's God veiled in flesh, but he is God nonetheless. Because we see here that the things that John said right at the beginning of his gospel here, uh, looking back at chapter one, he tells us these things. We see it completely illustrated here. Let's look at what John said right there at the beginning in chapter one, right at the very beginning. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. And then verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who but God, the Creator, God who created the whole universe out of nothing, who but him has power like this over the laws of nature, the laws of physics, laws that rule us as, as the creation? God alone has that kind of power, that authority, that ability. And now we know that in Matthew's account of this event, it tells us that uh, Peter also walked on the water for a second. But was that because Peter was so wonderful, so much better than we are? Uh, he was empowered by his faith in Christ, the same faith that we can have. And just remember, he very quickly succumbed to his weakness, to his fear, and fell into the water, and Christ had to raise him back out. So it's not that Peter's so special. So finally, let's look at the only recorded spoken words here in this passage. Christ said, It is I, 
don't be afraid. Just, we're going to dwell a second on those words. Just Church, please hear me on this. If you leave this place with nothing else, if you, if you leave today remembering nothing else about what was said today in here, or if you were in Bible study earlier, if you remember nothing else, remember these words from God, these words from Christ. It is I, don't be afraid. As we've already discussed, the disciples were afraid, and I don't think we can fault them for being afraid. You know, they're out in the water, they're in a storm, it's at night, and they see what they think is a ghost. Fear is a natural thing. God created us to feel fear. We are naturally inclined. We, you know, we can go into the science of it. We're not going to because we don't have time, and I'm no expert. But our, our bodies are designed to respond to threats, and you know, that's fear, and, and stay alive. We are naturally inclined to stay alive. So is it really a bad thing to have this kind of fear? Fear influences so much of what we do in our lives. You know, we're, we're afraid of, of health problems that could come in the future, uh, so we buy health insurance. And, you know, we're afraid that something can happen to our homes or to our property, so we buy homeowner's insurance, we buy renter's insurance. And these aren't bad things. God wants us to be good stewards of what we have, and all that we have is what he has given us. So, so being good stewards by buying insurance is a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. But if you think about it, and we, just by happenstance, we were talking about this in the youth Bible study this morning, what, what's really at the core of most of the fears that we have in our lives? Not all of them, but most of them. It's the fear of death. Most of our fears come from the fear of dying. Now let's look at what's happening here to the disciples, the situation that they're in. What is the, the worst case scenario? They're out on the water, it's a storm, it's night, it's difficult. Worst case scenario... What? What happens to them? They, they die. Boats flipped and they drown. Worst case scenario. Or, you know, even on top of that, you know, remember, they, they're seeing Jesus. The other Gospels tell us they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. They thought it was a ghost or a spirit. So, so again, worst case scenario, it's not Jesus. It's a ghost or a poltergeist or something, and it kills them. Again, worst case scenario. But these are guys who are Christians. These guys are followers of Christ. So what happens, what happens then? What happens if that worst case scenario happens, when death comes? Because again, again, we, we talked about this in the youth Bible study this morning, literally only two people in human history, other than all of us who are alive right now, other than all of us, there are two people in human history who have never died. Uh, so, so statistically, we're going to die. But do we have to fear it? Uh, Christ tells us what exactly happens to we who belong to him, to we who are true followers of him, what happens to us on the day that we die? We're going to look at Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43 specifically. Jesus tells us exactly what happens to a follower of him who dies. So just as a reminder of where we are here, Christ's on the cross, and there are two other people being crucified with him. One of them responds positively to Christ and becomes a believer right there on the cross, right on the precipice of death. So we're looking at uh, again, Luke 23, starting at verse 42. Then he said, this is the, the other criminal speaking. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Christ, said to him, the, the criminal, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, not tomorrow, 
not in a week, not in a month, not in a year, not after purgatory, nothing like that. Today you will be with me in paradise. That man did die that day. We have it here in the, in the gospel record. He died later that day. And we have every reason to believe he joined Christ in paradise that very day. That promise that Christ gave him is also true for all of us who have continued in all the years after to be followers of Christ. The day of death is the day that we join our Savior in paradise. The fear of death can be a paralyzing thing. You know, it can, you know, it's a fear that I think all of us have felt. You know, it can, it can paralyze us. It can shake us to our bones. And it's a problem that we have. But we who belong to Christ have a solution to this problem. We have what's called the, the Christian hope. We have hope by believing in him. A hope that our future is secure. Our eternal destination is set. There is no changing it. There's no losing it. As the hymn that some of you may know says, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We have hope because we have security. We, have, we can trust it, that our destination is, is secure, is guaranteed. And that's what gives us a hope and it frees us from having to have this fear of death. Let's look to the Old Testament, see what David had to say. David is a guy, if you're familiar, uh, this was a guy who was no stranger to life-threatening situations. He was in trouble all the time, or most of the time, a lot of the time. In Psalm 23, he wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here in the psalm, this beautiful psalm, that's a very well-known one, especially the, the passage about the valley of the shadow of death is very well-known. But we see here, through both the good times of life, as we see he talks about the green, the green pastures, the still waters, and the bad times, going through the valley of the shadow of death, those times are happening. It's not saying that you know, the good times and the bad times, it's not saying the bad times aren't going to happen. That They happen here, and they happen in our lives. But God is with us through those times. And the end result, regardless of how much of your time is balanced between the good times and the bad times, the end result for a follower of Christ is the same. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That right there is our hope, our assurance, that blessed assurance that we have in our future. So we who belong to Christ have this. Now, just to be clear, in case anybody's hearing me say this, this is not at all a call to seek out death. To, you know, just kind of walk out here on state line and seek the end, seek that transport to paradise. Even though we don't have to fear death, we're not supposed to seek it out either. Just to be clear, 
God has a purpose for us who belong to him. Our purpose is to serve him, serve others, to grow in our faith, to grow in our knowledge of him, and to become more like him. This, this fancy seminary word, sanctification, to become more like God, more like Christ, and to help others to do the same. Paul struggled with this. You know, our, our iconic you know, guy who wrote most of the New Testament for us struggled with this thought of you know, life and death and the fact that death is so good because it delivers us to paradise. Look at what he said in Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 21. Paul wrote, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. We see here straight from Paul. I'm sure everybody here can, can understand what Paul is saying here. We understand that death is not a bad thing for we who belong to Christ. It is our, you know, if we're thinking selfishly, it's the end of pain. It's the end of suffering. You know, it's the end of all these things. But that's thinking selfishly. That's just thinking about ourselves. Because what 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 Paul say here? Uh, sorry, I lost it. To remain in the flesh, I'm sorry, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. As Christians, we're not just living to secure our own future. We have that secure future, and that's a great thing, and that's very beneficial for us. But that's not the end goal. Our goal is to live our lives as Christ wants us to live our lives, by growing, by learning more, by sharing with others. We can't do that if we just cut it short and end it. You know, we can't do what God wants us to do by doing that. So we have this mission, a purpose, with the time that God gives us here on earth. Again, to grow in our faith, to grow in our sanctification, and to help others to do the same. Which again, can't do any of those things if, if we just cut it short and take the shortcut to paradise. So this, you know, kind of wrapping up here, this fear that we have in our lives, this fear of death, you know, that comes because death came into the world. God didn't create, you know, a sinful world. That came in after the fact. Death exists because of the corruption of God's perfect creation by sin. So all this circles back to sin. And thankfully, you know, Christ, our, our faith in Christ, our hope in Christ, delivers us from this problem of the fear of death. You know, Christ also took care of this problem of sin. And we are so thankful for that. Now, you may be here today. Mike, you don't understand. You know, I've got this situation. Maybe you've got, a, a, you know, these experiences in our life that are terrifying. You know, I understand. I've, I've, you know, again, I've, I've laid my fears out there. I'm horrified of this shark that doesn't exist that's going to come eat me. But, uh, so we, we have fears. That's, that's part of being a human. But again, just remember, you know, we look at, you know, it's great just coincidence, probably not coincidence, but we had this passage that we just looked at as part of the 
offertory passage in Isaiah 41. You know, we have these fears. We're weak. We're, we're humans. So we have these fears. But what did God say in this passage we just looked at in Isaiah 41? He said, I will strengthen you. I will help you. We're not in this alone. We have a helper. God gave us a helper with the Holy Spirit to help us with, with our weaknesses. So, again, if we look at our fears, most of them, not all, but most of them kind of boil down to this, this fear of death. But if we remember that what we're promised will happen to us at the time of our death, it becomes something that we don't have to be afraid of. Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is for me, I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? Worst thing they can do is they can deliver us to paradise for, for us who belong to Christ. So this Christ we're talking about, again, as he's described in, in chapter 1, he is the Word of God. Jesus Christ, who brought the universe to life so many years ago, he can bring me to life. A life that's dead in fear, a life that's dead to sin, that word brings us to life, brings me to life, can bring you to life, can bring all of us to life. And this life that he brings us to is a life that is free from having to fear the end of that life. We don't have to fear death. So Christ delivers that to us. Let's pray together, church. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the gift of your word. Both your word manifested in Christ and your word in your scriptures that we can look at and learn these things about you. We thank you for the amazing gift of Christ and his sacrifice to pay the price for our sins. We thank you for the salvation that you offer us at so low a cost. This, this salvation that gives us this, this faith, this hope, this secure future. We thank you for that. We thank you for giving us the ability to be free of the fear of death. This fear that, that drives so much of our lives. We thank you for giving us the ability to be free from it. We thank you for all these things, Father. We ask them in your name and for your glory. Amen. Now we're going to have a time of just kind of pausing while Roxy plays a little something for us. Just to kind of dwell on these things. These, these things of eternal importance. And you know, as we think about these things, if you're here today, if you don't, you know, if you, if, you, if you look at yourself and if you look in your mind, you look in your heart and you say, well, I don't have that faith. I don't have that hope, that security, the ability to be free from the fear of death. If you're experiencing that today, I, I encourage you, please seek out Pastor Adam, Pastor Jason, or myself. Any of us, we'd be happy to talk to you. If you want to talk about anything today, uh, whether it be membership of the church or just any kind of question, anything. You know, I know any of us would love to speak with you. Let's have a, a moment of quiet reflection.